to another bonus episode of Director's Club. Uh, I'm your host, Jim Laskowski, coming at you with some short but sweet content here uh, before Bill Ackerman steps in with a couple of director-centric episodes. Uh, I believe I'll be returning to those uh, come September. And speaking of directors, hey, I just mentioned him right at the top. Second favorite filmmaker of all time is none other than David Lynch, who is responsible for having made my favorite movie, Mulholland Drive. And honestly, that choice will never change, especially having seen it three times within the past few years on the big screen at the Music Box Theater here in Chicago. And every time I see it, I love it more and more and more. Uh, I happen to adore the majority of David Lynch's films, including Twin Peaks' Firewalk With Me, another newly dubbed recent favorite, as well as The Straight Story, and uh, the first uh, Lynch movie I ever saw on the big screen was indeed Lost Highway, which was just announced as a new special 4K restoration is coming out in October from the Criterion Collection. Oh, yes, I'm going on pre-order, ready to go. But before that happens, you can catch an exclusive one-night-only showing of Lost Highway on the big screen at the Music Box Theater here in Chicago, Illinois, on Saturday, August 6th. Uh, Check the link in the show notes. Get tickets there, please. I'll be there. Coming right after work. Cannot wait. And then the following day, the very same theater, the Music Box Theater in Chicago, Illinois, is showing Roy's World, Barry Gifford, Chicago, responsible for the collaboration and screenplay for Lost Highway. Wow, you got one heck of a Lynchian weekend happening. And the screening for Roy's World, Barry Gifford, Chicago, is happening on Sunday, August 7th. Like I said, the night after Lost Highway shows there. Oh, you're in for a treat. Because not only are they showing Roy's World, the director and producer are attending, and yours truly is hosting his very first Q&A at the Music Box. Oh my lord, that is just, uh, that's a banger of a weekend. As You know, as the kids say these days, using that word, I can't think of a better Saturday and Sunday than to see Lost Highway on Saturday, and then come out for an incredible documentary about the writer, the co-writer of Lost Highway with Roy's World, Barry Gifford, Chicago, which is a film that I've championed. And uh, 
I don't know if it's gotten an official release out there in the cyber universe uh, where you can stream it, but you should come out for this screening. And uh, yeah, this is a uh, this is all tying in lovely. I can't <laughs> tying in lovely. So let's get to the guest, <laughs> the person I'm interviewing for this special bonus episode that you're about to hear. Yes, of course. I'm talking about Mary Sweeney. She's uh, remarkably talented. And she's also going to be there uh, for the new 4K restoration screening of Lost Highway. She will be there for a Q&A. That will be hosted by Matt Fagerholm. Really great guy. Hell of a critic. And, yeah, it's just an incredible double bill there that week, and I still can't get over it. But Mary is uh, responsible for so many things involving David Lynch, but she's, you know, obviously accomplished in a variety of ways, without a doubt. Started out working on uh, Twin Peaks in season two, her first completed full episode was a very memorable one, memorable one at that with episode seven of season two. She was an assistant editor on Blue Velvet, edited Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, uh, Hotel Room, that series, Lost Highway, The Straight Story, and Mulholland Drive, for which she was awarded the 2001 British Academy Award for Best Editing. Oh, she edited Mulholland Drive. Um, <laughs> she is a, a passionate film expert and a screenwriting professor. She's traveled all over the globe. And yeah, I think most recently she was a consulting producer for uh, Matthew Weiner's uh, series, The Romanoffs, and writer of episode three as well. But um, oh, and she's <laughs> directly responsible for the straight story. She wrote, produced, and edited it. Then uh, we get into that just briefly. But there's there's just so much to talk about. Oh my gosh, that's the thing. It did half hour may not have been enough, but good lord, I'm just so grateful to have had the opportunity. So let's get to it, right? Um, oh, I'll, I got to do think. Um, Chicago film critic and past guest here on Directors Club, Steve Procopi, who was kind enough to set me up with a half hour's worth of time to talk with Mary about her career, including what it was like editing Lost Highway, working alongside David Lynch. Um, yeah, she's a pure delight. Be sure to check the link in the show notes so you can join me Saturday on August 6th as well as Sunday, August 7th. No, I truly think that, um, you know, Lost Highway is pretty close to being a masterpiece and uh, grateful, as you'll hear, to Mary for all her work. So without further ado, let's talk with editor, writer, producer, professor, all-around delightful human being. This is my conversation with Mary Sweeney. for me it's not every day i get to talk with the editor of my favorite movie of all time 
<laughs> which is uh, Mulholland Drive. But wow, uh, it's quite the honor to talk with you today, Mary, really. Oh, well, it's my pleasure to talk to you. I'm so, you know, excited to see Lost Highway in the music box. I'm really excited about that. Oh, me too. I, I'm going to I'm gonna lose my mind seeing that movie again. Uh, it's in the best way possible. And and actually, the, the, the night after that, they're showing the Barry Gifford documentary, and I'm hosting that Q&A. Oh, wonderful. I haven't seen that. I didn't know there was a Barry Gifford documentary. Yeah, it's it's quite good. I, I've, I don't know if it's gotten mass distribution. I think it's just doing, like, mostly the festival circuits right now. But, um, no, it's really great, especially it, it covers, it's like, a, him growing up in Chicago and everything. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'd love to hear him talk about Chicago and his father. Do, um, is it a new documentary? Yeah, yeah. It's called Roy's World, Barry Gifford, and Chicago. That's oh, that's the I'll that's, check it out. yeah that's the full title I yeah I don't know if it's streaming or anything like that but um, no it's it's kind of a exciting weekend then back to back because yeah. uh, of course Barry Gifford had a lot to do with Lost Highway but um, let's mm-hmm. let's go back to the beginning of when you first started in the industry before we get to you uh, um, your work on Lost Highway with David Lynch just curious about how you got started and your first work as a sound apprentice before getting into editing and producing film. Right. Um, I was, I went to NYU graduate school and came out of there, you know, having fallen in love with editing. And I got a couple of jobs sort of lied my way into some, you know, what they used to call industrials in those days, you know, a corning glass short film about Corning glass. <laughs> and, um, and uh, then I just started going around knocking on doors in cutting rooms, which is a very odd situation because it's like you get out of the elevator and there's like five doors. It's not, there's no reception and anything like that. And so, and I um, kept going back to reds because they were throwing everybody literally at that film um, for a long time. A lot of people were on the film for a long time, like up to three years, the people who were doing the documentary stuff. Um, and they just, you know, the closer they got to release and mixing, they just kept throwing bodies at it. So there were 65 people on that editing group, picture and sound. And, um, and eventually, I mean, I just kept going back and they'd say, come back in two weeks. And eventually after about, I don't know, three months or something, they had, you know, a sound apprentice opening. I was the seventh sound apprentice. (laughs) And, um, that was an incredible opportunity. First of all, I was trained in sound by a a lot of really tough experienced New York, New Jersey, Italian, uh, sound editors and sound designers. And, um, it was really a boot camp, and they were, really great. Everybody was very professional and creative and it was my first feature. So I was, you know, I, I was very excited about it. And, um, but it was, we, we barely saw the light of day on that job and I was on it for seven months, but I really wanted to get into picture. And then I, um, did, I was an associate editor on a documentary about Thomas Merton and that was really a, a big boon. And then I got a job as a, a picture apprentice on Tender Mercies, um, which so now I was in picture and that's like very much harder to get into and stay in because there's so many more. Every film has so many more sound jobs than picture editing jobs. And then I moved to the Bay Area uh, with my first husband and who was going to law school there. And. I, it was very hard to find work there. There's not much work generally in the Bay Area then. It was before the ranch, although Sprockets was there, um, um, 
you know, the, um, uh, George Lucas's company before the ranch was built. And, um, but you know, there were all these qualified people that work on George's movies or Francis's movies. And one film would come to town once in a blue moon and they were all there for it. So it was a year before I got work there. And, um, I then got, I, I got, I, and the work I got was sound. So I got sidetracked into sound because there were so few jobs in the Bay area. But on um, one of the jobs I did there, I was assisting a music editor from L.A. named Dan Carlin. And Dan was really the only person who ever, you know, turned to me and said, what is it you want to do? And then mentored me. And um, he went and talked to the editor of this film we were working on by Phil Borsos. Um, it was a really good film. The um, It'll come to me. Really, really good film with um, Mariel Hemingway and others, some really good talent. And he went to, you know, the editor as one of two editors in the Bay Area, picture editors, and said, okay, this, you know, young woman is really a great assistant and really sharp and all this stuff. And if you find yourself without your regular assistant, you know, she wants to get back in picture. So that editor, um, so he got some small project and a big picture came into town and it was a George movie and everybody was flocking to that, including that editor's assistant. And so I got the job on the little, you know, um, booby prize film and he got the job on Howard the Duck and the booby prize <laughs> film was Blue Velvet. <laughs> so, um, wow, that's incredible. It was a really, really beautiful twist of fate because then I started working with David as an, well, I was working for Dwayne Dunham as his assistant editor on Blue Velvet and on Wild at Heart. And, um, and then my husband got a job in Washington, DC and we moved. And so when they went to make the pilot of Twin Peaks, they wanted me to come back, but I, um, you know, I was going with my husband and, um, and then, um, wild at heart, they were going to, and that was now down in Los Angeles and Dwayne was cutting it. And, um, they asked me to come back and that, and so I came back to work on that. So I was the first assistant on wild at heart and um and then they did the second season of twin peaks and i was hired and this is one of back in the days of film making the transition as an apprentice editor to assistant or assistant to picture especially the latter is extremely difficult because you have zero opportunity to actually cut anything you're spending all your time just arranging organizing screenings in the cutting room and you know and and you don't ever get to cut unless you have a um, an editor who will give you a scene. But um, I got the perfect job for that transition as a swing editor on the first second season of the original Twin Peaks, and they and Dwayne started directing in that season. And so, as luck would have it, so I would just get scenes from the three main editors on Twi- on Twin Peaks in the second season. And they would, you know, they would all mentor me. I'd show them the scenes and they'd give me notes, ask me for changes. So it was like a little, you know, like um, high intensity, um, you know, training course in editing. It was really great because they were, we were trying to turn things around fast in film for TV. Yeah, I can imagine that's got to be, that's got to be a a lot of work uh, to start out on, especially with. It was it was trial by fire, but they yeah. were also, they gave me, you know, they knew I, you know, they all went through the same thing. They all had no experience and somehow made the leap to editing these people. And they were all great, you know, people. And so they would throw me fairly simple scenes 
And, you know, so it was just a tutorial. Um, it was really fantastic. And then um, episode seven was slated and David was going to direct it, which is, you know, the, the, the episode in which the killer of Laura Palmer is revealed. Oh, yeah. And Duane was directing and couldn't do edit it for it. And so David asked me to edit it for him. And that was the first time we worked together as, you know, on a single, you know, um, project as director and editor. And then I did everything he did for like 15 years after that. Yeah, that's that's remarkable. I mean, uh, David Lynch, and he comes across to me as very intuitive and thoughtful and and, and sometimes instinctive about what he wants from a scene. I, I, I find his work to be incredibly emotional. Mm-hmm. The, the sequence in fire walk with me where Lara hears Julie um, sing that song before, you know, bad things are about to happen. And certainly what what you did with it, with the editing of going back and forth of what happens at the end of uh, the episode seven of twin peaks that both feel very like there's a correlation between just like cutting with the music and cutting with reaction shots and things like that. There's just something about the rhythm Mm -hmm. and the the cadence of those cuts that I find myself uh, very moved when I, when I go back and revisit those, those moments. So, I mean, that's just, Um, that's just incredible. That's um, a great compliment. I very, uh, I appreciate you saying that. And that is that scene and that episode, there are other scenes in that episode too, that um, it was clear that David and I just really clicked mm-hmm. in, in um, you know, there's a lot of David's sensibilities that aren't mine and vice versa. Sure. Um, there's a, you know, big margin of each of us, you know, in our emotional landscapes that are not intersecting, but our sense of humor our definitely our sense of trying to um, uh, focus on emotion, not sentiment, keep it out of sentiment and and keep it very, you know, um, poetic, you know, it's a, there's a difference and you aren't, you are giving people the time to, and that's what that kind of scene does. And we were just like, I don't know, it was like, I was, you know, I was waiting to, ha- you know, have the opportunity to edit for someone like him. And, um, I didn't even know it because I, I didn't know that much yet how, what my own sensibilities were as an editor. Editing is something you have to do it a lot <laughs> to really understand it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's clear that he respects his audience to go on the journey and think about what the scene means, even if it doesn't initially make sense, because even something like Mulholland Drive, the first time I saw it, it all the pieces did not click for me in a way Uh that was entirely satisfying. And I found that, but I found that experience like, well, I, I definitely have to go back and watch it again. And that's a uh-huh. that that really and and rewatching it offers its own rewards clearly, especially with his work. And you know, going going to Lost Highway, that was my first experience seeing a David Lynch movie in a theater, and I was just uh-huh. overwhelmed by the sound design, especially in the editing, and just yeah. thinking about like, well, how like certain moments are very long. Like certainly that first hour. Uh, just mm-hmm. the, just the initial setup, and certainly the scenes of like Bill Pullman just going down hallways into darkness and things. Mm-hmm. I, I just always kind of like uh, mesmerized <laughs> watching those moments, mm-hmm. and th- it does feel like yeah. there's there's again uh, like a sense of rhythm and and music to the way you're even if you're not cutting to to music. I mean, certainly there's that mm-hmm. chaotic scene where he's playing the saxophone. Uh, mm-hmm. there's just, yeah, there's just a lot of moments where I feel like you're putting all this together like a symphony would where all these things have to harmonize and keep in time in just the right way to get the right response from the audience. 
Yeah. I mean, it is musical. Editing a film is very musical. I'm not a musician, a trained musician, but it is about an ebb and flow and never letting the audience down, you know, never letting them, you know, drift. And, um, and that's, you know, uh, it's like, a, you know, it is like a symphony, which is concerned with the same thing. And, you know, you're not exactly thinking you're the kind of first audience. If you're a composer, I imagine, if you're trying to get a certain emotion, you know when you've got it. And when you're editing, you know, it's the same thing. Uh, if you, you know, it's like, you know, the feeling and David and I did, you know, in emotional ways, understand um feelings, certain feelings in the same way and humor in the same way and things like that. It was just, we had, it's like, it's as simple as saying we had a similar sense of humor or, you know, um, same things moved us or things like that. I mean, in the straight story, and I've heard him say this publicly, um, you know, he would come in to watch scenes and he would be sitting behind me crying. And um, I don't think that has ever happened uh, in anything else. Um, but it was, I knew when the emotion he was going for that, because I would feel it. So you're your own Guinea pig, sort of like, I imagine a composer is like you work and work and work. And then there's this transcendent thing that happens from one note to the next or from one cut to the next. And it's that same sort of experience of like, I don't know exactly. And sometimes they're very lucky. I don't know exactly how that happened, but I, that just gave me a physiological reaction. <laughs> and that's what you're talking about when you, you know, you say that, um, um, you know, a scene that people get a feeling like that a lot is the silencio and oh, yeah. Rebecca, Rebecca Del Rio singing that thing and they go into the, you know, giant close up. And I get, I watch it now. You can't imagine how many times I've seen that scene in every iteration. And I get goosebumps every time I watch it. I know and that's what's that's what's amazing too and especially when you see it on the big screen at a place like the music box there you, it's just overwhelming in the best way I feel mm. you know a sense of connection to you know like of course I I'm moved by music and I've you know read books and things but there is just something about film where all of these different elements are coming together to yeah. create a sensation in you and it also like it makes you think of you know, where you were when you first saw it or certain memories are tied to mm-hmm. the actual experience of watching the movie. And yeah, no, I just, I, I'd, I'd be remiss in not commending you for that Silencio sequence. It just might be my favorite sequence ever put to film. Really. I just, I'm so yeah. floored by everything about it. And the fact that, that she came out, Re- Rebecca Del Rio came out to perform that live, uh, it was at the music box for a screening of Mulholland Drive right before. It was just like, I, I don't know if I can handle this. I'm so moved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she is a powerful singer. She's a oh, beautiful singer. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's just, that's just wonderful. But I'm also curious, too, because is he hands on with you in those moments when you're editing, like to the point of, you know, sitting beside you and saying, oh, we should try it this way. We should try it that way. What's No, no, no. No, he, he, you know, our, our, our practice was to, I would present him with a very long, um, first assembly. And it really is just an assembly because I, you know, I put in all his preferences. I put in the masters and I would just cut away at places. I know he wanted to cut away mm. with his preferences and things like that. So it was not, it was very lumpy and bumpy and it was awful for him to watch, but that's also always the case for a director. It's like after all the, 
you know, infinite possibilities of shooting this and getting that and this idea and stuff like that. You've got what you've got. And, you know, it's very depressing for directors to come in and see that first cut. But um, they're all pros and they get back in the saddle. And um, we would go through them and, you know, reel by reel when I was cutting in film and make notes. He'd give me notes and I had notes that I would say out loud and, um, and I would take all these notes and he would go away and I'd make all the changes. Then he'd come back. And, um, uh, you know, we go through it again and there were certainly, you know, scenes where, um, you know, he'd want to kind of stay there and work with me a little bit, but he, he's such a multi-talented artist. He's, he can't sit in the cutting room. It's too much time that he could be <laughs> off making art. So, um, you know, he was always painting or, you know, doing music or something during the editing process. And then we just come in and we'd have these long, and then we start to have, not open screenings or test screenings, but we'd start to screen the film for like other people in the cutting room or people who were sort of in the family by that. I mean, colleagues and family who hadn't read the script and didn't know it at all. And, and, um, but it was pretty contained process. And, um, and he just, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, even the first one I cut, I, I mean, I don't, I don't remember, but I think it just, you know, we understood from that first, Twin Peaks episode that we had, we were in sync on certain things and we didn't have to talk about it. And I, and I didn't have to tell me the feeling he wanted. I could just see from the way he directed people and what he gave me in the cutting room, the feeling, I could feel the feeling and and cut it to that. So he, he, um, he, you know, uh, was off doing a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. It just, it, it seems to me that he does, really care about every facet of the film from the sound design. And certainly I've seen documentaries where he is kind of, you know, asking Angelo Badalamente for a particular feeling or mood. And Angelo yes, just like exactly. instinctively knows exactly what he's looking for. It's kind of beautiful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, Angelo and I share that. I mean, I think Peter Deming does too. Mm-hmm. And certainly Jack Fisk. I mean, Everybody, you know, gets in in gets David, and that's why you know people go, like directors with a particular, very particular style. They keep their team, you know. Oh yeah, no that that makes complete sense. And I always I always wish I'd learned how to edit audio on a reel to reel as opposed to just a computer, you know, because I feel like it's just it, it's made people. I don't want to say lazier <laughs> you know but i i'm pretty sure that lost highway was the last film you edited before going to the avid and things like that am i am i, am I mistaken? yes yeah. it was yeah yeah and we you know i did a budget as the producer i did a budget for both digital post and film post and they were really kind of comparable at that time also the labs were still very skittish in you know going from original negative to digital and um, and so we just decided, it's like, okay, this is what we've been doing. We can do it. We know how to do it. Let's just, you know, do that. But I had already been, you know, David, um, would make commercials in between features and I would usually edit them. And those we did on Avid. I mean, I did on Avid. Uh, so I was already, you know, learning Avid before I, we decided to do the straight story on Avid in post-production. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's. That's interesting too, and just thinking about that time period and how things have 
you know, evolved using technologies. And I always think about that because I always also, when I, when I think of editing too, I think of that Albert Brooks movie, Modern Romance. <laughs> Cause uh-huh. there's that se- sequence where he is, you know, editing actual film. And I'm sure there are other films where they show, you know, editors doing their thing, but it's right. Yeah. It's just, it's always been fascinating to me. And as someone who loves to edit audio, um, I, I, know. I just always wish I could do it in a different way than just like, oh, I'm depending on computers now, but that's just how I know. things change. I know. There is a big difference. And there was a certain, um, there was a certain um, frame of mind um, that, you know, existed in editing film that kind of went out the window. And part of it is that, you know, what you're calling lazy, but it's the problem is that facility the opportunity to try a bunch of different things and the immediate access to everything really breaks your focus. You know, when you're watching dailies, when it's filmed, you are so focused on everything, you know, like when you see the master and you start watching the cutaways, you're like, really, when you watch the master, you really want to watch like where they're standing, all that kind of stuff, because you know, you're going to have to match that stuff in the, in the medium and the close-ups and that sort of thing. And you really, you train your mind to really have a powerful visual memory and because it was such a pain in the butt, you know, to have to keep switching around to, you know, different reels of film, take your reel down, put another reel up to find, you know, the cigarette matching the right length and things like that. And also so labor intensive to, you know, create an entire cut and then to change, make all the changes and, you know, the notes from that was, it would take weeks. Oh, wow. And so uh, since everybody can do it so fast, it's more superficial. It's just the way it is. You know, you can't stop the rain from falling. That's the way it is now. And there's a lot of things I love about, you know, digital editing, like not having to put up a thousand foot reel and take down another one just to see the close ups. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure there's, there's, uh, you know, obviously we're dependent on technology for a reason. It does make things easier in some cases for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, w- weird and random side story is the fact that um, once as a grad undergraduate student, I took an astronomy class and on the first day, my professor told the class about his background and just, you know, sort of gave us like a general bio and randomly he said, Oh, and by the way, I once tried to get into acting and one of the jobs I managed to get was playing the bus driver in the straight story. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, like the that only is very st- funny. I, I was remember the, that guy. <laughs> I was the only student. Yeah, I was the only student in the class that went, Oh my gosh, you're like a celebrity to me now. <laughs> yeah. That no, was a fun scene. Yeah. Yeah, no, he yeah, he's a really nice and incredibly intelligent person. His name is Gil Pearson. And yeah, that was that was that was fun to just learn about. And and I, you know, of course got all wide eyed about it. But I know I truly, truly love the straight story. It's just Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm so glad that, you know, you 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 put that whole project together essentially, right? In the beginning you put I did, it, yeah. yeah. I was kind of it wouldn't let go of me. It took like four years to get the rights and it just wouldn't let go of me. I don't know. It's hard to explain. But I it, listened to it. Oh, I'm so glad you did. Yeah. And it's it, it, obviously it's very straightforward. And I remember David Lynch saying like, well, this is kind of an experimental film for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, he said that he said it was the most experimental film he'd ever made, which is I always loved him saying that. And it was hard. You know, it's a slow mo old fart road movie. And it's you know, that's much harder than things with a lot of action and kind of really strange, surreal things. Not that those aren't difficult, you know, to keep people in there, but um it's a very different animal. 
Yeah, and the and and the casting of Richard Farnsworth and Sissy Spacek is really special. I love their relationship yeah. so so much. Yeah, I love everything about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and Freddie Francis. You know, Freddie was eighty, and Richard was seventy eight when we shot and when we shot that. And Freddie Francis, the great cinematographer, was the last time he worked. Both Richard and oh, Freddie. Yeah, yeah. No, that's. No, I, just, I love everything about that one too. So yeah, it's Thank there's you. just a lot to commend. Um, I'm also interested in your podcast. Is that going to come back? Because um, I, I my other passion besides film and music is uh, psychology and neuroscience. So I was just like, well, this this is up my alley. <laughs> well, we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it is still available. Just to, you know, put my name and float in there, and it'll take you to Apple, or it's still up. We you know I don't think we're doing another one, but it's um, we haven't. You know, we haven't stopped paying the, you know, the distribution <laughs> service for it yet. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, because you, yeah, you, you've interviewed some big names there, too, and certainly other filmmakers and artists that I'd be interested in listening yeah. to. So I'm going to check it out. Yeah, they really, you know, artists really get turned on talking about neuroscience. They just, you know, it just really gets them excited. And you can, you know, for the most part, you know, like um, Joe Walker, who just won the Academy Award, he, you know, he's really great on it. And, um, oh, great. Um, uh, what's his name? I'm sorry. He's uh, Garth Jennings, who directed Sing One and Two. Uh, he just loves talking to me about this stuff, and um, and it was also really fascinating for me to talk to the neuroscientists um, who were on there. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, I'm going to check out all those episodes as well. I'm, I, you know, obviously I'm fascinated by the subconscious, as is David Lynch, <laughs> um, for a lot of reasons, including his love of meditation. And I feel like every single project he's been a part of, there's always a character that goes, let me tell you about this dream I had. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Which, yeah, obviously we could talk about the winky sequence if we had more time, but um, yeah, that's just one of my favorite moments ever, too. But we're going to cross paths yeah. at the music box without a doubt. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely say hi to you in person and... I can't thank Good. you enough for your time today. Thank you so much for talking. Well, I can't wait you. to see Lost Highway in the big screen with you. Okay. Thank you very much for your time as well. Okay. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Excellent. Well, take care. Thanks again. Uh, Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Special thanks to my guest, Mary Sweeney, for joining me today. Uh, please do check the show notes. Visit directorsclubpodcast.com. Send me an email at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com and uh, visit with the Patreon at directorsclubpodcast.com as well and uh, thanks again to Steve Procopi and everyone at the Music Box Theater for making this happen take care everyone be safe bye bye